0: Welcome everyone to DAF Yomik to vote one week at a time. Uh, This is our fifth class and today we are going to be reviewing DAF 28 through 34 uh, and uh, we are going to be finishing the second chapter in this Masachet, and then we are going to be uh, beginning the uh, third chapter where again we will be learning some more fundamental uh topics. As I mentioned, I think I mentioned at the beginning of the uh at the beginning of the masakhet, uh, some people call this masachet um they call it Shas Katan, meaning it's a small uh it's almost a um it's a uh you know, a um uh, concentration of a a lot of the concepts that we have in uh in the the, the Talmud, and we're going to see that uh, throughout today's class as well. Um, okay, uh, Daf. We're going to actually begin on Daf twenty seven uh, at the bottom. There's a Mishnah, and um, the Mishnah again. We we last week we were talking about. Um, when people are believed uh, in their testimony, and we were talking about uh, a city that was overrun, and we assume that uh, the women were raped and then uh, could not go back to their husbands if their husbands were priests, if they were Kohanim. Um, and the Mishnah tells us at the bottom of 27, if a man, um, the Mishnah gives us a case. That a man swore that he was with his wife the whole time that an invading army was in their city uh, showing that she was not raped Uh, and the Mishnah tells us that he's not believed uh, because interesting. The reason that's given in the Mishnah is a person is not allowed to testify on their own behalf meaning he's giving testimony that his wife would be permitted to him. Therefore, that's not really reliable testimony because he is uh, involved in the case. Um, The Gemara tells us they, they, um, they couldn't be together, again, because he was a priest. Again, he's a Kohen. If he was Uh, A regular person, meaning not from the priestly family, they would be okay. Um, but interestingly, the Gemara tells us that even though they're not allowed to be together because he was a priest, um, she could leave. She could live in the same courtyard as him as long as they were never really alone together. Um, However, a divorced woman shouldn't live in the same neighborhood as her ex-husband. So, this is the Gemara is giving us um, either advice or halakha, which is just interesting to understand. Uh, And basically, we're concerned that there might be impropriety, uh, and therefore, once a couple gets divorced, they shouldn't live in close proximity to each other. the, the top of DAF 28, the Gemara tells us that if she owns, what if she owns the courtyard? So then he needs to move right again. If they get divorced, he needs to move. If she's the one who owns the courtyard. Otherwise she needs to move, uh, which is an interesting idea in terms of. Um, the fact that they can't be together. So then who needs to go? Um, what if they both own uh, the, the courtyard, meaning where, where they live? or are both renting, uh, then again, uh, she needs to move. And the the reason that the Gemara gives us is because it'll be less of a hardship for her to be able to relocate, which is an interesting, again, idea. Uh, I'm not sure how accurate that would be nowadays, um, but it seems that it it was accurate in the time of the Gemara. Right. Um, the, the, the Gemara continues giving more advice in terms of, uh, after they get divorced, um, if let's say he owed her money, she should not go and try to collect it. She should actually get someone else, an intermediary to go and collect it again. We're trying to create some distance between the uh, husband, uh, the, the husband and the ex wife. Um. Okay, the next Mishnah tells us a person is believed to give testimony as an adult about something that they saw when they were a child. Now, if you remember, we talked a little bit about uh, testimony we, we know that uh, a, um, a witness needs to be an adult right testimony from a child is problematic and the gemara now tells us uh, sorry the mishnah tells us that a person who's an adult can give testimony about something that they recall from the past meaning even if they're testifying about something that happened when they were a child and then the mishnah lists Uh, Different examples of what this testimony could be about. Uh, It could be about the signature of their father uh, or their teacher or their brother, right? Even if they only saw it when they were uh, when they were minors, uh, they could give testimony later on when they are adults. Um, We could have testimony about um, someone saying, when I was a child, I remember that Mrs. uh, Schwartz. When she got married, she was wearing a veil. a hinuma. If you remember in the beginning of the, masachet, we said, that's 1 of the testimonies that could prove that she was a virgin when she got married. So someone can say, I remember when I was 10 years old, I went to the wedding and I remember that she was wearing the veil. Um, or uh, I remember when I was in 1st grade, I had a friend. His name was. Uh, Yosef and I remember that in his lunchbox every day he ate truma, right? This would be testimony to prove that Yosef was a kohen, right? Because he was eating truma, or um, that I remember walking every day to school uh, and passing this field where they they buried a dead body. They buried a body in this field. If you remember, we had this concept in Hebrew it was called a Beit HaPras. And it means a field where um, there used to be a grave, but there's no marker anymore and we don't know where the grave is anymore. Um, So, again, we believe the adult to say, I remember as a child, seeing them bury the person here or for Shabbat, for the outskirts of the city, you can say, I remember when I was, again, when I was 10, we used to go on a walk every Shabbat, but I remember that we didn't go past this tree. That was the outskirt of the city. Um, However, says the Mishnah, they're not believed about establishing monetary claims. Uh, this would be more po- problematic uh, because again, we're then uh, going to have to pay somebody um, based on this testimony, and then the Mishnah says that's already too much. But in order to uh, say that a woman is uh, was a bitula when she got married, or that a person was a kohen, that we will believe them for. Um, The Gemara adds that we need to have another adult testifying with this person, meaning that testimony is not enough uh, if it's by itself, but if there is corroborating evidence then uh, or testimony, then it would be okay. Uh, And the question is why? And basically the Gemara is gonna go through each one of the cases that we mentioned and explain that each one of them is rabbinical in uh, origin, right? They're dirabanan, and therefore if they're rabbinic in origin, then we're going to accept this type of testimony. So the Gemara tells us authenticating contracts is rabbinic. And that's why he's believed. testifying about uh, a bride is again, testimony about a bride is accepted uh, because the majority of women were bitulot or are bitulot when they get married. I'm not gonna, I don't know, I'm not gonna bring up if that's true nowadays, I'm not sure, Uh, but it's interesting to to think about. Um, Testimony of the boy leaving school to go to the mikvah to eat truma. Um, maybe he was the servant of a kohen. If you remember, we learned not only can uh, a kohen eat truma, but the wife of a kohen, the child of the kohen, and his servants can eat truma. Therefore, saying that somebody left. To eat, you know, to go to the mikvah, to eat truma, that might not necessarily prove that they were a Kohen. And the Gemara says, wait a minute, why would the servant boy be in school? Servants don't go to school. Uh, And from here, we get into a whole conversation about are you allowed to treat, uh, to teach your servant Torah? Um, And the Gemara says, um actually uh you are allowed uh you are allowed to uh teach your servant um Torah but up into a certain amount of of up to a certain level i would say um what about if it's uh they remember that they got grain at the granary again remember um Truma is separated at the uh, at the storehouse, Uh, so maybe they uh, and they went to go get the this grain. So maybe that's proof that the person is a kohen. The Gemara says no. Again, maybe it's a slave, and the Gemara tells us there's a machloket in certain cities they would allow the slaves of a kohen to pick up the truma from the storehouses uh, and in certain cities they would not allow them to do that therefore um it would not be um again uh we would uh not use it as proof if you live in a city where the servants can pick up the the truma from the um from the uh storehouses uh we mentioned the beit hapras the field that had a, a body buried in it again the gemara says this is dirabanan it's on a, a rabbinic level uh, and that's why if you remember uh, we learned in the past how could you how could a kohen who is not allowed to become a tame impure how could he cross such a field and one explanation is given that he could walk and blow the dirt in front of him and as long as he doesn't see any bones he can keep going therefore the gemara says we must be speaking about something on a rabbinic level, because if it's on a a biblical level, we would not be able to uh, do what we just mentioned. Uh, The same thing with the Tchum, with the limits of the city for Shabbat, that is also rabbinic in origin. Um, The Gemara tells us that he's not believed about money matters, about about monetary matters, because we don't exact money based on a childhood memory, uh, which I think we can understand uh, why that would be problematic. We do not accept testimony of a non Jew who um, converted or a slave who is freed, Um, meaning again, to give testimony about something that they saw in the past. Some say that they are believed because, again, what's the issue? We're concerned that maybe they weren't so careful to remember the exact details, Um, but uh the gemara says maybe this person knew that they wanted to convert so that they were very precise about their observation uh and therefore their testimony would be um would be accepted uh and therefore it would be okay um oh uh okay there is a a, a fascinating story at the end of this perek um, where the, this person remembers how, um, what, what did they do? Uh, 1 brother, uh, there were 2 brothers or a few brothers. 1 brother married a woman who was unfit for their family. Uh, so the rest of the family took, uh, they did something called. Ktsatsa, so the Gemara explains what's this, ktsatsa, what's this ceremony? The rest of the family took a barrel full of fruit and they broke it in the middle of the town square so that everybody will remember not to marry into their family. What did they do? They did something so strange, uh, right? And then gave out all this fruit to the city so that everyone will remember this moment. And then they'll say, wait a minute. I remember they did this crazy thing why did they do that oh yeah right the brother married somebody that was not appropriate for the family therefore we have to remember not to marry into that family Uh, so since we're talking about memory and how to extend that memory uh this is one way to do it Uh, i don't know if i would um advise this sort of ceremony but it is an interesting uh uh, story uh, and with that, we finish the 2nd chapter, uh, of, uh, Masachet to vote. Okay, from here, Daf 29, we are going to uh, be discussing. I, I think I will. Uh, I will, I will say that it is sensitive material. Um, we are going to be discussing a, uh, a law that we have in the, the Torah. Uh, that discusses the concept of rape. Um, the the Torah tells us that if a man uh, rapes a girl, a na'ara, uh, or seduces her, uh, na'ara is to remind us, is uh, not a ktana, not a minor, uh, but not an adult, not a bogaret. A na'ara is a girl who's between 12 and 12 and a half. Uh, and if a man uh, rapes this girl, uh, he needs to pay a fine of 50 shekel to her father um, and, uh, and marry her and uh, uh, the, the, the Torah talks more about what has to be done and exactly the parameters of this discussion. Uh, this is going to lead us to a wider discussion um, about uh, fines or monetary payment for a transgression uh, versus, um, I guess what we'll call corporal punishment, either lashes or death, execution and things like that. And we're gonna talk about that. So our Mishnah on DAF 29. Now, okay, uh, one more thing that I wanna say, um, the conversation that we're going to have uh, is going to be I guess I would say very technical, very dry. Uh, and um, Rav uh, Johnny Solomon, I don't know if uh, if you're familiar with him, uh, he has a, a wonderful uh, post generally uh, every day on Dafyomi on Facebook. Um, he wrote that it's really important to recognize that when we're learning Gemara, it's not enough to just read the words on the page, uh, not just the Mishnah and not just the Gemara, um, but to understand that there's a lot more depth here that we're, we're not always going to get when we're, especially when we're doing Dafyomi and we're reading it very quickly. So it is very important for us to understand that in no way uh, is the Torah or the rabbis in uh, the Mishnah or the Gemara saying that it is okay. Uh, to rape or seduce women, uh, that is, uh, absolutely not, uh, the, the, the idea here uh, we are going to talk about, as I mentioned, the. Technicalities in terms of what this person is liable for what they're exempt for. Um, there isn't a discussion about how terrible it is. And I think it's just important to understand that it is terrible. Uh, And nobody uh, is saying that in any way is saying that it is okay, or, you know, let's just move on. That is not the case. So it was just important for me to uh, to explain that and, um. Okay, with that, we are going to begin. Okay, so uh, the Mishnah told us on DAF 29, uh, if a man violates a Na'ara, as I mentioned, um, he needs to pay her father a fine. Um, what if, uh, so the Mishnah continues, if he violates a woman who is, a, or a girl, a Na'ara, who is a mamzeret? Right, she is the product of uh, a forbidden relationship, or a nitina, She's from the Givonim, the nation uh, that uh, that uh, kind of got in trouble uh, in the times of the Navi, of the prophet, or a Kutit, another woman from another uh, nation that converted, um, and uh, if or. A woman who was released from captivity or a convert or a freed slave, if they were younger than 3, um, all of these uh, women are seen as um, bitulot, as virgins and therefore he needs to pay the fine. Um, even though the Gemara is going to explain in a minute, uh, these women are not free to marry whoever they want um, important to understand again. Right? Uh, they. The 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 Mishnah is telling us, even though they're not allowed to marry whoever uh, they want, there is a fine if they are violated by a per- by this man. Um, if he violated a woman. Who is prohibited to him, right? 1 of the prohibited relationships. He also needs to pay a fine. We're going to explain why this is a, a unique uh, statement um, because right? And the Mishnah tells us, right? Even though he is liable for karet, meaning he is liable for death uh, in the hands of God. Um, he. Uh, still needs to pay uh, this fine, and we'll see why that is important to say in a minute. Okay, the Gemara tells us, even though, as I mentioned, even though these women cannot marry into Israel, um, he still needs to pay the fine. Um, and as I mentioned, um, um, this this fine is for a naara. Um, again, if it's uh, if he violates a woman who is a girl who's under 12, there's no fine. Um, if she's between 12 and 12 and a half, there is a fine. Um, and uh, the, however, the sages say, if it, if she's between three and 12 and a half, there is a fine. Meaning it doesn't matter as long as she's under 12 and a half, there is a, a monetary fine that he needs to pay, um, right? The Gemara says, maybe the fine is only for a woman who he could in theory marry, as I mentioned, part of the consequence of his actions is that he may need to marry her. If he can't marry her, maybe he doesn't need to pay the fine. The Gemara says, no, um, these women are also included in um, in the, the the list of people that he would have to pay the fine. Um, okay, uh, the Gemara on Daph, 30 uh, introduces a new concept. This is a very fundamental concept in the Talmud. Uh, I'll tell you the, the concept, the, the, the words in Aramaic and then I'll explain. The, the words in Aramaic are Kamle or kimle, bidmine. And the, uh, the, the short version is kimle or kamle. Uh, this principle means that uh when a person is um, is um, chayav, is uh liable for uh or deserving of two different punishments right the 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 principle says you do not get both of the punishments; you only get the more stringent punishment. Um, Okay, so that is what's called kamle or kimle, uh, and that is an important concept. That's going to be our topic for the rest of tonight's uh, class because we're going to try to understand uh, when this person uh, who is now liable, first of all, for sleeping with a woman he was not allowed to be with, let's say he slept with uh, someone who he's really not allowed to be with, um, so then, uh, and, and you're telling me that he, there's a punishment of, let's say karet, which is right death by God, right? God will exact that punishment. Uh, and he has a fine that he needs to pay. So the, the Gemara tells us that if it's capital punishment and, excuse me, and a monetary punishment, you only get capital punishment. So the question is, how could our Mishnah tell us that he has to pay the monetary fine? It doesn't make sense. So that's what we're going to try to figure out. Um, So the Gemara says, no, um, maybe uh, for Karet uh, and monetary, he does get both, but maybe for other things, he only gets one. Um, And here um, the, the Gemara will tell us That, um, right, there are four capital death penalties that weren't canceled after the, uh, that weren't, let me, let's take a step back, sorry. There are four types of capital punishment. Um, We will learn this later on uh, in other Masakhtot, but there are four types of capital punishment Uh, stoning, skila, srefa, which is burning, uh, not like burning at the stake, uh, rather uh, the the Gemara and Sanhedrin explains that they would actually pour uh, like hot lead down their throat, so they would actually burn from the inside. Um, so that's uh, Um There is hereg, uh, um, uh, which is uh, uh, death. Uh, later on, we'll see it's actually uh, decapitation uh and chenek which is strangulation again not hanging uh the way we we see it but uh actually two people would just like pull us uh, a rope um but those are the four capital punishments now we know or i will tell you that after the destruction of the temple uh they were no longer um able to give uh, capital punishment, there was no Sanhedrin, there was no great assembly uh, and therefore the Jewish people were not able to, um, uh, give capital punishment. Right? Even if there there was a case, uh, they were not able to do it after the destruction of the temple. Very fitting a few days ago, we uh, commemorated the destruction of the temple. So that is uh, very fitting to discuss this. So, um the the here the gemara tells us that even though the courts were were not able to exact these punishments god um made it that the punishments were given out what does that mean so the gemara says that if someone would normally have been uh, liable for stoning so then um he he'll fall off a roof Or he would be trampled by an animal if they were meant to be burnt. So then they would fall into a fire or get bitten by a snake. Uh, And it goes through each 1 of the 4 capital death penalties and and shows how um, God controls the world and the person will get what they deserve. Um, So that's since we're talking about, um, mitat beit din which is in Hebrew right? the word for uh the capital punishment um and uh the there's a verse that correlates these four um capital punishments to karet meaning uh the karet being uh death that is from god um so here the Gemara continues if you are liable for stealing tr- ah, okay so now uh, let's let i mentioned Uh, 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 So let's try to understand the principle. The principle is that if you are liable for two punishments, um, then you only get the more stringent one. However, um, the Gemara narrows that statement. What does that mean? You have to be um, liable for those two punishments at the exact same moment. Uh, And the way to do that is if it's one action. So we're going to construct a case um, where, right, let's say somebody um, had truma and it was not, uh, you're not a Kohen, so you're not allowed to eat truma, uh, and it was not yours. And you walked by, you stole the food, and you ate it. So, right, by eating the truma, you're liable for eating truma and for stealing so the gemara says wait a minute wait a minute that's not accurate because when you picked up the food you stole it then when you ate it you became liable for eating truma so if there if you split it right meaning if it's two separate actions or two separate moments then you would be um, liable for both uh both of those actions and kimle does not go does not come in here because they're not happening simultaneously um right however says the gemara if someone put it in your mouth now right you didn't pick it up so the moment you ate it was the moment that you stole it and you ate it so then that would work and you do have uh, again, Kamle or Kimle, uh, and then you would only be liable for the more stringent thing. You would not have to pay back uh, what you stole, uh, but you would get um, corporal punishment for eating Truma. Daf thirty one it tells us, um, again, right? if you steal khelev khelev is um, animal fat that is prohibited to eat. Um, so if you steal this chilev and then you eat it, again, you're liable for both. Um, now, let's get to another case. What happens if you shoot an arrow into the public domain on Shabbat? Right. So now we're going to go uh, from uh, talking about damages. Don't worry, we'll be back to damages. But now we're going to go to Masachat Shabbat. Right. We remember that on Shabbat, you are not allowed to carry an object or throw an object for for a mot in reshut in the public domain so what happens if you shoot an arrow in the public domain and on the way that it was you know flying in the air it went through right it tore through somebody's uh, sheet that was hanging on their laundry line and ruined the this clothing right so here again, I have a monetary responsibility uh, to that sheet. Uh, and I, I was also uh, liable for transgressing Shabbat. So here again, if it happens at the same time, so then you'd only be liable for transgressing Shabbat. That is the one that's more stringent. Um, and then you wouldn't need to pay for the clothing or the sheet, um, but Right? Um, but again, with eating, when we go back to the case with eating, um, you can eat without picking it up. Right? Again, I don't have to pick it up. Someone can put it in my mouth. Uh, and therefore, maybe it's different. Um, now, uh, again, uh, the, the, what about, and, and here the Gemara is going to talk about, um, first of all, the concept of. Um, Carrying on Shabbat if you remember there are two parts to carrying uh, There's what was called Akira right lifting something up and then you take it to another area and then you put it down hanacha, Right, so those two actions um, Complete the idea of carrying uh, so the Gemara says well Maybe there's a difference with an arrow, right? When you shoot an arrow, I can't bring it back. Um, but what about walking in public on Shabbat with a knife, right? That's different than your arrow because I can always stop uh, and that would, be, uh, that would be different. What about stealing a wallet on Shabbat, okay? So now, here's the case. Um, first, we're going to say, you lift it up and then you walked out, uh, out of the house. Um, so then you would need to pay back uh, the money that you stole and you are liable for transgressing Shabbat. You took something from the private domain to the public domain. Um, but, right, so the Gemara says, you are liable for both of them because they didn't happen at the same time, right? This, when you pick it up, So now you stole it and then when you take it outside, you are a transgressing Shabbat. But the Gemara says, well, that might not necessarily be true because um, when do we really say that something is stolen, right? If I pick up something in your house, I haven't really stolen it yet. So the Gemara says, okay, what if I dragged it out of the house, right? I never picked it up, I dragged it out of the house That seems to be that the moment I get it out, it, I stole it and I'm carrying. Um, So the Gemara says, you're right. In that case, uh, you don't need to pay back what you stole because you transgressed Shabbat at the same exact time and that's the one that you're going to be punished for. Um, So again, the Gemara says, if you move something from one side of your house to another side of the house, and then, Right, so you picked it up, you're like, oh, I think I'm gonna put this uh, chair on the other side of the house. And then you're like, oh, actually, no, no, no. I don't need this chair in the house. I'll just take it outside. So the Gemara tells us that very uniquely in the the case of Shabbat, you're not liable for hotza'ah, for taking it outside because when you picked it up, the beginning of the action, you didn't have intent to take it outside and therefore uh, you are not liable for that action right so again as we mentioned hotzaah needs picking it up and putting it down and the gemara is telling us here i need intent to take it out when i picked it up in the first place um, what happens if i stop in the middle of carrying the wallet out um, the gemara tells us that scene as putting it down, even though I didn't put it down, right? If I'm walking, 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 and I stop, that's seen as um, as putting it down. So that's just an important idea. Uh, if any of you live in a place that does not have an eruv on Shabbat, uh, it's important to understand that if, let's say, you feel, oh no, I have something in my pocket as long as you keep walking, the best thing to do is to turn around, go home and put it back in your house, right? Not stop and tip it out and put it down, right? That would uh, actually uh, show that you carried it outside. If you continue walking and put it back inside, that would actually um, be okay. Um, Another opinion, however, is, and this is a minority opinion, uh, Ben Azai says, that walking is seen as standing. So every time you take a step, it's as if you stopped. That would be very problematic for our case here. Um, however, if you throw it, you'd be exempt because again, um, you're, it's not picking up and putting down. Um, okay, what if he takes the wallet to the public domain? Um, again, we said it's a problem of carrying it excuse me. Okay, excuse me. Okay, if you take the wallet out into the public domain, so the Gemara explains that this is a problem for carrying, but not for stealing because, and now here's another important idea when is an object seen as stolen right so we said if you come to my house and you pick up something from my house while you're still in my house you have not stolen the object now says the gemara even if you walked outside you still haven't stolen the object because now you're in a public area And that is not a place where you can acquire an object. You can only acquire an object in a private domain. So the Gemara explains, okay, you're right. Let's say that you took it to uh, the side of the public thoroughfare, um, what we might call um, the sidewalk or the shoulder of a road, that the Gemara tells us, some people see as not the main thoroughfare, and therefore you can acquire an object there. And that's where it would be seen as um, b- having been stolen uh, at the same time. Or if you drag the money and then put it into your other hand, if your hand was under three tfakhim, three hand breaths of the ground, So even though you're it's in your hand, it's as if you put it down on the ground uh, and then again, uh, you would be liable. Um, From here, since we're talking about lifting things and acquiring things, so the Gemara tells us at the bottom of 31, if you lift an animal up when you purchase it, right, that's called you lift it up. Right? Those of you who have seen uh, at the uh, Tisch, at a wedding uh, at the groom's table, uh, sometimes, right? The, the rabbi will give him a pen or a kerchief to pick up. Um, so it's not the same thing as what we were just mentioning, but picking something up is showing that you're acquiring it. Um, Or if you take it out of the owner's domain, then you have acquired it. So again, as I mentioned, uh, here taking out is seen as acquiring. Um, Okay, dot 32 tells us um, that if he violates a prohibited woman, he needs to pay a fine. Um, If she's over 12 and a half, so now he gets lashes and there's no fine. Um, so that seems to tell us that uh, it seems that he uh, was liable for lashes and a fine. And because of Kamlay, he gets lashes, right? He gets whipped and he does not pay the fine. Um, so, um, okay. Here, the Gemara also mentions. Um, compensatory damages, so we mentioned that there's a fine, but it's important to understand that when, um, some sort of damage happens, there are other fines that need to be paid. Uh, 1 is, uh, embarrassment, right? We, um, estimate the value of that embarrassment. Um, and, um, any, um. For lack of a better word, I'll use the word depreciation of value. Uh, right? So, uh, this woman has lost something very important. Uh, and therefore she is compensated for that. Um. There's also something called, uh, which is, uh, any, um, um, Pain uh, that was inflicted because of this damage uh, the person needs to compensate her for Um, these are there are actually 5 things that a person needs to compensate for when damaging another or doing damage to another person. Um, So here uh, again, let's go back to uh, the fact that we mentioned there seems to be lashes. And there seems to be a fine. So the Gemara interprets this to say that it seems to be that either you get lashes or a fine, but not both. Right? Meaning they're incurred at the same time. And it seems that you do not get both. Um, this is either learnt uh, from 1 of 2 places. The first place is the case in the Torah about a person hitting another person, um, and um, that person needs to be compensated um, or, uh, or uh, some sort of a corporal punishment. Um, and another case is zomimim. if you remember, we had these uh, witnesses, we spoke about them, I think, last week, uh, witnesses, false witnesses that uh, testimo- testify falsely uh, and accuse somebody of doing something that they did not do. They get whatever punishment uh, they were trying to give to the other person, but they do not have to pay a fine. So, again, it seems that, um they have uh, again one as opposed to the other um as opposed to right or from the fact that when you do damage here right we know the famous line an eye for an eye right ein tachat ein. what does that mean we don't poke out your eye if you poked out somebody else's eye rather you pay and you don't get lashes so here it seems as well maybe this person should pay And not get lashes. So what's going on here? So the Gemara says, well, maybe the case was that if, okay, another important concept, um, a person cannot get punished for a transgression unless they are warned beforehand. Meaning, you say to the person, don't do that, because if you do that, you're going to get X. They need to know the consequences of their actions before they do the action. And if they do it anyway, that's when they get that punishment. So the Gemara says, well, if they were warned, so then you get lashes and you don't pay. But if they weren't warned, so that warned, so then they don't get lashes and then they, the person pays. Um, Or says the Gemara, if he was warned, maybe again, we have lashes. And a fine, therefore, you get the lashes and you don't uh, and you don't have a fine, right? Which is um, either similar or different to the cases that we mentioned before Uh, and the Gemara says that in the cases we mentioned before, uh, they actually pay and they do not get lashes Uh, and it seems that these cases are specifically. Um, um. um exceptions to the rule and not the rule themselves so we're going to uh, again try to figure out what the rule is um again uh lashes versus um versus having to pay a fine right so we said um okay we said he has what's the fine in the case that we've been mentioning, he has to pay 50 shekel, but there are also other payments that he needs to pay. So that's important to understand. As I mentioned before, humiliation and other um, other payments that he would have to pay as well. Um, again, back to our false witnesses, uh, they cannot get warned um, because. It, it just doesn't work that way, right? How do I say you better not uh, give false testimony? Uh, so then they're not going to testify or they might uh, come another time. Uh, so uh, they basically cannot be warned. And therefore, the Gemara says, maybe that's why they pay and they don't get lashes, um, right? Because again, we said, we can't warn them a few days before, because we never know when they're going to come and we can't do it after they they um they they uh give uh their testimony and the Gemara basically shows that for this specific case of uh, false false uh testif- um false witnesses, uh they do not need a warning and they could even get killed for what they did, right? It's so severe uh, that the Gemara says even without a warning, they can get the most severe punishment. Um, However, when we talked about someone hitting another person, they pay and they don't get lashes. So again, let's try to figure out what's going on. So the Gemara gives us the case, right? If two people are trying to kill each other, Right there, they're fighting and they're trying to kill each other, but one of them ends up hitting a pregnant woman. If he kills her again by accident, then he should get killed. Um, if he made her miscarry, he has to pay uh, a value, even though we all know uh, that that would be priceless. Uh, there, there still is a monetary fine. Um, and the, the person does not get lashes. So, again, we have a fine versus lashes and here we see they pay the fine and they don't get lashes. Um, If you're warned for something stringent. Okay, another concept, right? We said that in order to get punished, you need to be warned. What if I warned you for? of something very stringent, um, very chamor, very stringent. Um, so the Gemara says that it's like you were warned for something lenient as well. Uh, and therefore, if you only got warning for something uh, strict, you still are seen as having had warning for something uh, more lenient. Um, so the, here the Gemara says, remember we've been saying with with kamle you get the more stringent punishment. We're assuming lashes are more stringent than paying. That seems uh, re- reasonable. The Gemara says, um, what if you have lashes uh or death? Uh, what's more severe? And the Gemara says maybe lashes are more severe than death. Uh, right? And the Gemara says um. That's not true, but it could uh, if the lashes were unlimited right in. Uh, it's also important to know um, in the Jewish courts, As I mentioned, I keep using the word lashes. It's important to understand um, in a Jewish court. Uh, if somebody is um, liable for uh, lashes to get whipped uh, the maximum number, uh, the, the Torah allows, or uh, the rabbis allowed. Is 39 uh, lashes uh, and the Gemara says that you do not go that far. You do whatever the person can handle and not more. Uh, however, says the Gemara, uh, you know, in a non Jewish court, you never know uh, where, where, when they're going to stop and therefore it could be seen uh, that lashes are more severe than uh, than death even. Um, okay. Um, here, Rabbi Meir says uh, that if we have lashes and payment, uh, that you should get both. Um, and from now, we're going to uh, introduce another concept. Uh, another concept is um, the Torah tells us that if somebody steals uh, an item, uh, they need to return it in order to repent, they need to return it and pay back double what they stole right, Kifel, it's called double. If a person steals a goat or a uh, cow, uh, and then they shecht it, right, they kill it, uh, so then they not only have to uh, compensate for the original value, but they have to pay back four or five times the value of that animal, meaning for a goat it's four times, for a cow it's five times. Um, this is um, the the term that's coined is ganav v'tavach. Uh, ganav means you stole it, and tavach means you shechted it, you slaughtered it. Um, so now let's go back to our case of uh, of kamle Bidirabamine, our our case of simultaneously incurring two uh, two um, uh, penalties. Um, So, let's say you stole and then uh, slaughtered an animal on Shabbat, or you did it for idolatry, or you did it to an animal that uh, needed to be killed. Um, Rabbi Meir says you pay four or five times uh, and you get the punishment for Shabbat, meaning you get death. Uh, the sages say no uh no fine, because again, as we mentioned, you're going to get the stringent the more stringent um, um uh punishment, which is death um from here again, we're going to try to understand what is the case um so the the Gamar tells us that if you um are what if you uh, slaughtered it on Shabbat um, is that seen as a viable slaughter and therefore you incur the penalty um, or not. Uh, and here uh, the, the Gemara tells us that um, there's actually a uh, we learned this in Masechet Shabbat, uh, if somebody does uh, an action, a violation on Shabbat, Uh, Is that though seen, right? Let's say someone slaughters an animal on Shabbat. You're not allowed to do it, but is the slaughter kosher? Could you eat that animal later on, on Shabbat, after Shabbat? Uh, So the Gemara says that uh, it's actually machloket. Uh, Some say you can eat it after Shabbat if it was inadvertent. Uh, Others say, no, you can never eat that animal because you cannot Slaughter something appropriately while transgressing Shabbat. Um, What about, we talked about, if you do it for idolatry, uh, how does that work? Again, let's understand the action of slaughter, right? To slaughter an animal, you have to cut through what's called the two simanim. Simanim are... The word Simanim means signs, uh, but it basically means um, through the esophagus and the trachea, meaning you have to cut straight through the neck, um, you know, uh, across. Um, And here the Gemara says, well, wait a minute, when you start the slaughtering, you've already slaughtered the animal for idolatry, uh, and then, but you haven't done proper slaughtering, proper uh, shchita, till you finish um, both of those uh, signs. So how does that work? Um, The Gemara says, well, you made a statement that I'm only uh, going to be uh, worshipping this idol when I finish the complete slaughtering of the animal. um, two more concepts I want to just uh summarize before we finish. Uh one is called Shor Haniskal. Uh Haniskal literally means the ox that is going to be stoned. Uh this is an ox that killed a person. Uh, if an ox kills a person, that ox is put to death. Uh now that ox is not allowed. Uh you are not allowed to have any benefit from that animal. Uh, And therefore, the Gemara asks, how could someone steal it? It doesn't have any value, Uh, and the Gemara constructs a case where um, a person borrowed or is watching this animal, and then it kills a person. Um, That animal does still have some value to the uh, guard because he needs to return the animal to its original owner. Uh, and therefore, there is a concept of stealing from this Shomer, from this person who was guarding the ox in the first place. Uh, and the last concept that is, is brought up uh, is what's called in Hebrew uh, haba uh, That means somebody who comes in via a tunnel. What are we talking about? Um, the Torah tells us that if a thief uh, tunnels into a house, um, he is basically taking his life into his own hands. What does that mean? Uh, If the owner of the house sees him, um, that owner is allowed to kill this person because he fears for his life. Uh, It seems to imply that if the, the robber comes in through the front door, uh that is not the case. Uh meaning it has to be in a secret way uh because uh that will make him liable um or uh be able to be killed by the homeowner. Uh so the Gemara constructs another case uh that if this robber uh also like uh steals an item or steals the animal um at the same time that he becomes liable for death, meaning the owner of the house could kill him uh, again, if it's happening simultaneously, he will only be um, he'll only be liable for um, for one thing and not the other right again uh, if it's uh, stealing uh, then and then let's say he steals the animal and slaughters it at the same time. Um, then he would be liable for both Uh, and uh, the the gemara 34 ends with a case of children that inherit they they inherit um a borrowed cow uh from their father meaning their father borrowed a cow let's say from the neighbor uh and then the children uh inherit this borrowed cow they can use it For as long as, you know, the contract is, but if it dies, they don't need to pay the original owner because they weren't the ones who borrowed it in the 1st place. Um, What if they thought that it was their father's cow, and then they slaughtered it and they ate it. So the Gemara tells us that they need to pay back the owner, uh, but a very low value, meaning not the full value of the animal. But if the father left them property as well, meaning all the property in the estate, then they do need to pay back the full value. Uh, And here it's interesting, the Gemara is discussing, um, when I borrow something, uh, now I become completely liable for that. Or um, maybe only if you, uh, let's say slaughter it, that's when you're, Like stealing it from the person uh, and the father is not here uh, and he's the one who borrowed it in the 1st place uh, and therefore they do not have to uh, compensate the original owner. uh, If that was the case, Uh, and with that, I think we will uh, end for today. Uh, There were a lot of concepts that we went over literally uh, I think we spanned uh, at least. uh, two, three other in today's class. Uh, so I hope it wasn't too much, but uh, wishing everyone a wonderful week. And uh, I, we will see each other next week. Be'ezrat Hashem. Have a great week, everyone.